Welcome to the Next Level Business Podcast for entrepreneurs who are looking to take their business and wealth to the next level. Welcome everybody uh, to the podcast today, the training. We've got an exciting one for you. Um, so we have Shane and we have Mr. Frank Hill on the line. What's up, JP? What's going on? We've got a special guest, special treat for you guys today. Um, Shane, tell us a little bit about what uh, you know, how you, <laughs> how this whole relationship kind of came about, and uh, then uh, Mr. Hill has some notes that he want to share with us. So. We're excited and welcome everybody for joining tonight. Uh, So Shane, you can take it off. Yeah, we have the distinguished Mr. Hill. Thank you, sir, for being a part of this tonight. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And I I know Mr. Hill because uh, I used him as as my attorney, which I'd never been in a lawsuit before. And I was, I'll be honest, I was a little scared to be in one. And uh, I had a, a restaurant friend of mine that recommended Mr. Hill and had won a couple cases with him. And so I went and sat with him and felt comfortable. He said we had a case and an amazing uh, transformation for me. I went from fearing one of these things to uh, being at peace with it. And then actually uh, going down the road of not fearing a lawsuit because in business, it's going to happen, right? Would you agree with that, Mr. Hill? If you do business for a long enough period of time, you're going to be subject to a lawsuit. Yeah. My, uh, my father, Owned and ran a grocery store for 65 years in Fort Worth. Hated lawyers. And uh, <laughs> after I started practice, he called me one day and and said, son, so and so happened. And he said, you know, you can't get through the damn day anymore without having to hire a damn lawyer. And I said, well, Dad, I am a lawyer, you know. And he, well, I know. And that's OK. But yeah, it's <laughs> and, and, and that was that was many years ago. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to be in business and stay in business if you don't use lawyers. Yeah, maybe you can touch a little bit about that, about why business owners should not have fear when it relates to a lawsuit. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Let me tell you what what I do and what I, I've been practicing now about 53, 53 years. Um, I. Uh, I grew up pretty poor and uh, uh, I was very fortunate to get a scholarship into law school at SMU. Uh, otherwise, I, I never would have been able to go. Um, I got out of SMU's law school in 1966. And at that time, I don't know, had no idea about the ages of the, the folks watching or listening. But at that time, the, we were right in the middle of the civil rights movement, uh, albeit it, it wasn't particularly active in Texas at the time. Uh, when I got out, well, I, in 1963, my first year, President Kennedy was assassinated just down the street, literally. And uh, that largely motivated me to uh, um, accept a job with the Department of Justice in Washington in the civil rights division, uh, I moved to Washington, and for three years, 
while I lived there, they, I was mainly traveling in the deep south and handling civil rights cases. After that, I, uh, I came back home and uh, worked for a small insurance defense firm for three years because I wanted to learn uh, how to try state court cases. My experience with the Department of Justice was all in federal court. So after three years, then I started my firm, and uh, that was uh, in 1972. Um, our firm is in Arlington, and it's basically a litigation firm. Uh, we do some transactional work, that is just contracts, business business matters. But, but what I do is basically litigation, and mainly litigation that is likely to lead to a trial. Um, there aren't a, a lot of trials the way now that the way there were when I when I first started. In the first thirteen months that I was in private practice, I tried eighteen to a jury verdict. You can't do that anymore because the dockets are so full, uh, and and mediation is pushed by the judges. So ninety nine point nine percent of the cases settle. Uh, so. Getting around to addressing uh, what Shane is mentioning, uh, the fear of litigation. Let, let me just kind of think aloud with you about that. Uh, I don't think Shane wants to hear this, but I think uh, it, it's appropriate to have a good, healthy fear of litigation. You know, um, uh, after you've done it for so many years and you've tried so many jury trials, uh, it it. It, it doesn't seem fearsome to me anymore, but I will tell you that young lawyers fear litigation almost as much as their clients do. They're afraid they're going to lose their clients' fortunes. They're afraid they're going to make fools of themselves in front of the court and jury, and frequently they do. Um, so one of the first things I tell the young lawyers in firms is you got to get over being afraid to lose you, you, you got to go into it uh, without the, the not, 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 you don't have to go in fearless about being prepared. But if you're afraid, if you don't want to try a case because you're afraid you, you're going to lose, that, that can be a real problem for a, a developing lawyer. The same thing can be true for a business person. Now, I, over the years, I've seen clients, usually business clients who, who have a fairly substantial business, uh, use litigation in many ways. Some of them say, uh, hey, uh, if, if I get sued, I'm going to settle it immediately, get rid of the legal fees and move on. There is some value to that. Others get really aggressive, especially in hard economic times, and they figure out that litigation can be a profit center for their business. I've had a few of those. They're very aggressive business people. They're very aggressive people who almost look for litigation because they can make some money out of it if, if, if they're really dedicated to doing it. But let me begin by saying if before you consider whether you're fearful of litigation or not, if you're in business, get a lawyer. And I mean by that, don't don't just start calling around and hire a lawyer necessarily for a specific thing. But the smartest clients I have try to make a friend 
out of the lawyer. Now, I'm not going to convince you that all lawyers are worth being friendly with, but uh, once you find a lawyer that you're comfortable with and that you trust, um, that you kind of like, become a friend. I can't tell you how many times over the years that uh, a good client for five or six years suddenly hits hard times. They can't pay legal fees anymore. Uh, They come in embarrassed and say, look, I just got sued. I don't have any money. Will you help me? Well, sure. You know, it's uh, they've been nice to me. They've been good to my staff. uh, And I've gotten to know their their spouse or their family or their friends. Am I going to turn them away because they can't pay? No, I'm not. Now, the really big firms probably don't do it that way. But I, I just want to urge you, don't just treat your lawyer like uh, the dentist. Uh, uh, make a point to go by and give the lawyer's uh, secretary a, a donut or, or something. But be try to reach out to them and make a friend out of them. Uh, let me give you a simple example. Uh, if, if you call me tomorrow and said, I need to hire you to do this and such, and I'll pay you by the hour. When I finish talking, I'll write down a tenth of an hour, four tenths of an hour, and no lawyer keeps a stopwatch. And so, because I've, I've, I've worked with Shane, because I think we get along fine, uh, I'm more likely to write one tenth of an hour than three tenths. It's human nature. But the, but the client who calls up and abuses you or your staff, and then they, they want to argue over uh, $35 on their bill, you, the human nature is that you, you don't give them the break, you know? Okay, I was on the phone. I think it was three-tenths, but I'll write four-tenths. You know, you don't really go through that mental uh, gymnastic. I'm just simply telling you, befriend your lawyer. Be nice to them. You don't have to take them to dinner, but just let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. And and when the day comes that you can't pay his fees, he's not likely to kick you out. I've carried clients for years because because they become friends, and and it can become an invaluable thing for you as a business person. Would you say now, you're the exception to the norm, though, in that? Nationwide, probably yes, but one of the fortunate things for you guys is I I assume most of you do business in Tarrant County uh, or smaller counties, and and there are a lot of lawyers who are good, decent people who are not going to dump you because you can't pay, Um, and, and I think in Tarrant County, the practice is still enough of a small town practice that that th- there are a lot of us, I think, who will do that. Um, Tarrant County is comparatively a, a really good place to practice law, and it's a good place if you have to litigate. You're very likely to get a fair judge, a competent judge, and you're very likely to get a fair-minded jury that is uh, ethnically and racially diverse, uh, which is a good thing for everybody, for the judge, for the jury, and for the the clients. 
So I, I think in Tarrant County, uh, it, especially if, uh, if you're dealing with a middle-aged to an older lawyer, uh, they're 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 not they're not cutthroats, and 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 you're likely to find a lawyer who will get in the trenches with you and stay there. Um. So. Uh, uh, one of the things that you might think about is when you find a lawyer that you think might be somebody that you want to, even if you hire them for a small task, you know, think about volunteering to pay them a small retainer, you know, like maybe a thousand dollars or something uh, and, and, and tell them, look, I'd like to give you a thousand bucks just to be available when I call. But if I have a piece of work, well, sure, I'll pay you for your time. But I, I just like to know that I've got a lawyer that is not going to turn around and sue me, uh, and he'll be my lawyer if I need him. Um, and, and let me tell you, I just uh, I just hired for a client. I just hired the most prominent lawyer in the United States who practices before the United States Supreme Court. We have a case that's, that uh, we think is going up to the Supreme Court from the Texas Supreme Court. And uh, it, it was, I didn't really think I had a chance to hire him. That's how famous he is and how, but they, I was told, oh, he probably won't even talk to you, Frank. Well, he did. He called me right back. And he was, he was great to deal with, perfect gentleman. And uh, I said, before you get there, I know you're going to ask about fees and whether the client can pay. He said, yes, I have to ask you that. And I said, if if, if you sign on with us, I'm going to wire you $250,000 as a retainer tomorrow. And he said, I, I, I really do like the case now. And, <laughs> and, and, of course, we signed him up and we did that. A retainer works miracles because that's the way we make our living. But on a small business basis, you don't have to talk about big money. Just just offer to say, look, can I pay you a thousand bucks just to, so you'll take my calls? And uh, and then if I if I really need service, well, I understand you will charge me more. And if they say no, I don't. And a lot of them will tell you, no, I don't need that. And that's that's a good sign, too. But it, it really it, it tells the lawyer, I'm not going to have to chase you to get my bill paid. Some good advice, Mr. Hill. Now, uh, so Shane had asked about, well, you know, learning to deal with the fear of, of lawsuit. Let me tell you, um, there, there. if you watch TV shows, you hear all about litigators. Well, the woods are full of litigators. That's any lawyer that handles a piece of litigation. And that's okay. It, it's... Uh, uh, it's okay. Some lawyers will say, no, I, you know, I, I draw wills, but, but the woods are full of litigators. There aren't many trial lawyers left and, and there never will be a lot of real trial lawyers. Um, you got to do it a very long time, try a lot of cases before you become what I call a trial lawyer. If you've got an experienced, reputable trial lawyer, you're halfway home. Um, 
the reason I wired $250,000 to Washington is because that's the lawyer that I got to have. And everybody that ever stepped inside the Supreme Court as a lawyer knows this guy is the number one guy. There's a number one or number two, three, four, five lawyer, trial lawyer in every Texas town. Um, if I've got a case down in, uh, up in Denton, I'm going to call um, a particular lawyer up there and hire him to be my local counsel. He knows the judges. He's likely to know people on the jury panel. But there's in every town in Texas, there is a lawyer that's the guy or the woman to go to. And, and the first thing you got to do is this, this lawyer that you just made as your friend, you go in to see him and say, hey, they're talking about suing me and Tyler. What do I do? That lawyer, if he knows what he's doing, he's going to say, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to hire Fred in Tyler, who is the guy to go to in Tyler. Now, there may be five, ten in, in Fort Worth. I'm going to guess there are 12 or 13 go-to trial lawyers. They're not a lot, but 10 to 15, I'd say. Uh, and you need help in finding that person. If your lawyer's one of them, great. If he's not, you need to talk to him about who is it that we're going to get to take the lead. Now, that depends, too, upon how much is at stake. But uh, disputes arise usually, the bad ones that you don't want to see, you're going to get a demand letter. You're going to get a demand letter either from the, the guy that's mad at you or you're going to get a demand letter from his lawyer. The first thing you do is go to your lawyer, get that lawyer. Now, let me tell you, give you some examples of why you have to act immediately. Don't put it off. And, he, and even if, if he hadn't, you haven't gotten a demand letter, if you sense that that person's so angry that they may well sue you, go to the lawyer. If you come to me and you've been threatened with a lawsuit, nine times out of 10, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to wait to be sued. We're going to sue them tomorrow. <laughs> why, why do I do that? I do that because there's a tremendous advantage to being the plaintiff. In, 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 in court, the plaintiff and his lawyer, the plaintiff always speaks first and last throughout the trial, throughout any civil trial. I get to talk to the jury panel first. I get to make opening statement. I get at the end of the trial, I get to argue first, the defense lawyer second, and I argue again. I get the first word and the last word. I get to sit closer to the jury. Now, it may sound silly, but it's a big deal. So if your lawyer knows what he's doing, at least as I see things, if Shane comes to me tomorrow and says Josh is about to sue him, Josh is going to wake up sued the next day. There we go. We're going to sue JP first. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to get there first. Hey, and I, remember, I remember, Mr. Hill, when I sat down with you first, that's, exa that's the exact same thing you told me. We need to yeah. be first. We need to be the plaintiff. And sometimes uh, when the client comes in, you look at it. Well, they could sue him in Tarrant County, or they might sue him in Chicago or in uh, East Texas. It, it, depending upon what kind of case and what has happened, it, it could be possible that if you don't sue first, you're going to wake up in New Jersey. You don't want to be there. 
So not only are we going to file first to get the plaintiff's chair and, and speak first and last, but we're going to do that because we will probably be able to pick the county, pick the state, pick the county, pick our forum. And and if you got a lawyer who's practiced 50 years or 30 years in Fort Worth with jury trials, he or she is going to want to be in Fort Worth. That's his home court. And he's going to want to be plaintiff. He's not going to want you to get sued in Delaware. You don't want to be sued in Delaware because now you got a lot of legal expense and travel expense. So the, when you think there's a real possibility you're going to get sued, go to a lawyer with trial experience and ask him or her, should we file suit first? Now, there can be times when, when I say, no, in this particular case, let's wait. Um, but that's rare. And, and the more acrimonious the, the potential suit is, the more likely I am to say we need to sue them tomorrow. What does that do to the other guy who gave you the demand letter when you sue him first? It's kind of got to throw him off guard, right, a little bit? I think it does. Uh, it, and, and I'll tell you, the, when, he, when he goes to his lawyer or when the lawyer gets a letter, from us or if they get them, if the other lawyer gets a letter from me or for any one of the 10 or 15 very experienced trial lawyers in Fort Worth, they're going to back up. They're going to say, you know, that's too bad. In fact, I've had some lawyers tell me that they know me and of me for so long that they won't send a demand letter anymore. Uh, and they'll just file suit because if they know that the person's coming to me, they know I'm going to beat them to the courthouse. It's a tactical decision in every case, but I'm just telling you nine times out of 10, you're going to be better off to file suit first. That so when you, think you, when you think you might get sued, go to that lawyer whom you have befriended, by the way, and, and, and get started. Now, uh, maybe you've got, the lawsuit. Maybe you're thinking that you've been damaged. Um, same same thing in the sense that don't don't mess around with it. Um, even though the the guy that that you're wanting to sue may not really have a cause of action against you, if he goes to a really good lawyer, that lawyer might well file suit a declaratory judgment suit simply to get there first. So if you think you've got a, a claim, a valid claim. Go to your lawyer and, and explore it early on. Now, I'll come back to that because when you're going to be the plaintiff, if you're the defendant, you, you generally, even if, even if you file as plaintiff, but in fact, you know that you're really fighting off a claim, um, you, you very likely are paying legal fees by the hour. But how about if you're a plaintiff, you're a true plaintiff and you've been injured in your business, a breach of contract, whatever it is, um, and, and you go to your lawyer, it, the, one of the most important things you got to do in the first meeting is negotiate that fee basis. They, the lawsuits and litigation become a lot less fearsome if you know you can handle it economically and that you're not going to get driven to the, to the poorhouse by legal fees. Um, so when you think that you may have a cause of action. Don't wait around. Don't talk to your buddies. Just go to the lawyer and find out. Um, 
Now, one of the most important things that that you can do in in dealing with threats of litigation and um, uh, and and your own initiating litigation is talk to the lawyer, your lawyer, candidly about fees. Every lawyer I know will negotiate fees. And they, they will or they will not? Huh? You said they will negotiate or they will not negotiate? They will, in Tarrant County, almost all of them will negotiate fees. Now, if, if you've got a particularly uh, bad case or something, that they, they, they may not because they may not really want the case. But but if you have befriended this lawyer, you've got a good relationship, and the lawyer says, um, oh, look, I want you to put up a $25,000 retainer. Tell them I, I, I can't do it. You know, I can put up a $5,000 retainer. Um, and and uh, on hourly rate fees, where the lawyer's just working by the hour, uh, you, you, you need to just be candid with them. That they almost always will negotiate with you about the amount of the retainer. Uh, any unused portion must be refunded to you. Um, um, and most lawyers nowadays, especially in Tarrant County, and especially in hard times, most of them will tell you, and, and I, I think I try to tell clients, all clients this, look, there are many kinds of fees. All lawyers will work for a fat hourly rate, almost always. But wait a minute, would you take my case on a contingent fee? I won't pay you anything, uh, but if you, I, I, I know I'm going to win this case. It's going to be $3 million, and you'll get a third. Well, maybe. Uh, usually in business litigation, our firm doesn't do a completely contingent fee. Uh, I want the client to have some skin in the game. And so there's another kind of fee called a blended fee, uh, and that is the client puts up some money up front, and then the rest is a contingent third or, or a contingent percentage. And there are manipulations of that that you have to, to, to look at before you sign on. For example, if you pay a $25,000 retainer and the lawyer also gets a third, do you get credit for the $25,000 you paid? You paid ten thousand out of pocket expenses. Do they come off the top before you multiply by a third? There are many emendations of the fees. So, if you don't really understand it, tell the lawyer to put it in writing and then stare at it overnight before you make your decision. Uh, and, but I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, the lawyer will negotiate with you and make a better deal. And I will tell you that, that when I did that with Mr. Hill, we did a blended fee and I thought it was very fair. And it, it gave me the peace of mind that you were talking about to know that I'm not going to be economically injured past the point of no return. So that it, yeah. it was comforting to me. One of the worst parts about litigating is going out to your mailbox once a month and finding a bill for another 3000 or $6,000 from your lawyer whose clock is running. Uh, and if you do a blended fee, you, you pay what you're going to pay up front. You may have to pay some out-of-pocket expenses, but they're usually comparatively small. And then you don't pay again un unless you make a recovery. Um, uh, and that's it's most most of our clients, and I think most Tarrant County law firms 
other than maybe a couple of the biggest ones would say the same thing. Most people who come in can't really afford to litigate a significant case by the hour. If, if you hire me or somebody like me to try a jury trial, and if it's going to take a week of trial, um, and if it has any complexity to it, you're very likely to spend seventy-five to $125,000 in legal fees uh, by the time you get a jury verdict. And, and then if there's an appeal, it gets worse. Well, if, if you come in and the guy owes you 50 grand, you can't spend 75,000 on a lawsuit chasing 50. So uh, the lawyer knows that. And the lawyer either ought to say, I can't take the case I, 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 because I, I, I got to charge you by the hour or the lawyer's got to say, okay, I'll help you. And I tell you what, put up uh, 15,000 up front and then give me a third of what we recover or, or in some cases, and, and it's almost working for free usually, but you know, a lot of cases are so they involve such injustice that I can't turn them away. Now they're, you know, I, I do turn away a lot because I can't take them all, but, but, uh, lady came in, uh, not long ago and, and she was being sued by a small construction company and, and they wanted, I don't, I don't know. I, I think they wanted $35,000 from her. And she said the construction was defective and that they really ought to pay her about 17,000. She'd already been sued and she had paid some lawyer in Fort Worth, I think, $7,000. She couldn't pay any more. And the lawyer said, well, I got to withdraw. And that's permissible. It's okay. The lawyer can't afford to do it. And she said, oh, you know, she was referred by someone, of course, that I knew. So I said, okay, you know, look, just pay a couple of thousand bucks, and I'll look to the other side to pay our fees if I win. Now, that's a dead loser for me financially, but but sometimes you've got to do it. If you have any decency about you, you can't just put people back out on the street without legal representation if they're really getting screwed. And, and, and you know, you hope you don't have to do too many of them. Then there are cases that are purely cases that are cause cases. Uh, if Josh comes in and says that he's been fired from his uh, teaching job at the University of uh, Texas uh, because he he spoke out against, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, the DACA position, which the decision came down today from the U.S. Supreme Court on that. But it's a matter of principle. And Josh says, uh, I want you to file a suit like this uh, over this really important constitutional issue well if it's if it's just a cause that he's interested in and he can't pay for it uh, I can't afford to do it because that thing's probably going to the Supreme Court one way or the other um, on the other hand if he's really been treated unfairly then we almost always find some way to help we sue the government every day of the week some form of government 
my my file cabinets are full of pending lawsuits against the county, the city, the state, whatever. And we've always done that. We don't make money out of that, but but they're frequently involving important constitutional issues, and I'm very interested in those, and we do a lot of them. On the other hand, uh, if Josh comes in and he tells me his story and he wants to sue the University of North Texas, and I tell him, look, and this, this actually happened, not with Josh, but with someone, a uh, professor came in and said, I want to sue them because they fired me unjustly. I listened to them and I said, sir, you, you, you can't win that lawsuit. And he said, Mr. Hill, I understand that you're the best at suing uh, public employment cases and colleges and universities. I've got $100,000 in my checking account. I'll write you a check for 100000 if you'll take it. And I, and I said, you know, I, I'd love to have the money. I really need the money, but I can't do it. I, if you write the check, I've got to give it back to you because you cannot win this lawsuit. So I didn't take it. And, you know, he found a lawyer. They, they did. They, they filed it, and they won it with the jury. But then it got appealed, and it, and it all got taken away on the legal points, which is what I was telling him. You can't win it because of the law. So, you know, money is a really good test when you're choosing your lawyer and you're dealing with your lawyer. Um, I, uh, I'm, not the, I'm not sure you businessmen are making the right choice and asking me about business decisions because I don't claim to be a really good businessman. But I'm a pretty good lawyer. And, and uh, I, as you might imagine... A lawyer who spends his first three years in Washington, the Civil Rights Division, uh, spending most of his time traveling in the Deep South and trying civil rights cases in the mid to late 60s. You know, I I didn't go into the law to get rich. And and a lot of that is because I, I have a hard time turning away a case that really is meritorious, whether they can pay or not. Well, now. That's good. That shows you're a decent human being, which I knew, but I love hearing that about you. That's cool. Well, I want you to understand that there are an awful lot of lawyers that feel the same way. Uh, a lot of them don't. A lot of them are jerks and, and, uh, and money-driven. And when we hire a young associate, I tell them, if you're coming here to get rich, don't come here because you won't. Um, and there are firms where you can go and you, you'll end up fairly wealthy. Um, but it, it, it just shouldn't drive a young lawyer's life. If that's what he's going into it, it's a service profession. And if you don't want to serve, then don't come here. Hey, Mr. Um, Hill, how many, how many attorneys do you have that work for you? Oh, about 12. Now I think, um, several years ago, I thought I was so smart that I would open up branch offices and and we ended up with one in Chicago that really did pretty well for 17 years until the partner retired. And I, I, I didn't want to try to replace him. Had one in Little Rock, one in Austin. Um, and we had about 40 lawyers. But I was spending more time administering than I was trying cases. And I gradually got out of that. We're 10 or 12 lawyers, just depending on when you catch us. In terms of business advice, I can give you some Number one, you, you know uh, that you've got to have insurance. Um, whatever your business is, there are some forms of insurance that you're going to need. Here's how you buy insurance. 
and this is really important, find the insurance agent that you want to deal with. Have that agent come to your office and tell that agent, I want you to understand what I do in my business. I want you to understand whether I drive cars on my business. I want you to know what I do. Then I want you to tell me what I need to have in coverage, and then I'll decide. But I want you to recommend strongly and get me covered and keep me covered. Those are magic words. Get me covered and keep me covered. I'm I'm getting ready to try a case right now against an insurance agent in Dallas because he he went out and sold insurance to at a company that I represent, but he told the the three principals of the company that um, that he would insure them personally, including automobile liability, since they drove on the job, but that the company didn't need coverage for that. Well, that's utterly wrong. So one of the principals uh, was driving, had a terrible wreck. His passenger was dead, uh, and travelers stepped up and and defended him individually because he got that policy. But the company had no coverage. So it's a wipeout case for the company. Now, we we got a bunch of lucky breaks, and, and we got out of it virtually scot-free. But I sued the insurance agent because he came out and sold us insurance and didn't cover the company. Now, the law is he doesn't he has no duty to to urge you or to offer to you certain kinds unless you ask. So what is it you have to ask? You don't have to ask, do I have enough homeowners? You, you need to ask, do you know what I do? Do you understand what our business does? And do you have, uh, are you presenting to me the choices of having coverage for everything I might need? Now, if he screws up and you get hit for a million bucks, then, and you sue him, then he's got an insurance policy, an ENO, an Arizona emissions policy, and, and it's likely to be big. So, but that's the way you hire it. And, 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 and when it comes time for renewal, take time to get him to come back out again and say, Do, is everything going to be renewed? Explain to me and be sure you're comfortable that the, all of the meaningful risk that you and your company have, you individually and your company, that they're covered. Um, insurance uh, companies are uh, sometimes they're wonderful, uh, but they're they're not in the business of writing checks, you know, uh, and and uh, they usually they they're heavy litigators. And most lawyers come to hate them, um, but but sometimes they're they're great to deal with. But but in general, in general, uh, you you want to have and love the coverage and the carrier that's with you. But when you get on the other side of them, uh, just be sure you're well lawyered up. The other thing. Uh, we sue a lot of lenders and banks and sooner or later, you're going to have dealings with banks. Now 
the, the, the world of litigation against lenders and banks is a wonderful world for lawyers like me. It's extremely interesting. Banks and lenders always have a lot of money, so they're, they're, they're dumb, slow-moving targets, usually. Hey, I was a banker for uh, 15 years. Well, thank you, you, thank you, you know, I represent, a lot of, I represent a lot of bankers individually, especially when they get fired by the bank. Uh, they, then they come and hire me to sue the bank. But I'm not talking about the human beings being stupid. I'm talking about the banks. They get so institutionalized and they get so encumbered by their, their old-fashioned ways that they become dumb, slow-moving targets. Now, um, this week, I took in a case for a lady who, um, it, not a big case, it's about $350,000 loan, uh, that the bank sent an email and said, your loan is approved. And a week later, they come and said, you know, we changed our minds. Now, do you really think they're going to get away with that? So, but wait a minute, the bank's going to stay. I've already sent the demand letter to them. I know they won't sue her, uh, not until I sue them. But uh, uh, the bank's going to say, well, wait a minute, we got a document here that says, uh, we're not obligated to make the loan until we sign the final document. Okay, well, that's interesting, except you represented to her that you had agreed and approved to make that loan. So I'm not suing you on contract. I'm not suing you because you entered a contract to make the loan. I'm suing you because you misrepresented the status to her. And by the way, that bank may or may not also be providing services to her checking accounts or whatever. And if so, they're going to be liable under the Deceptive Trade Practice Act as well. There are many ways of getting at them, but but just look ahead because sooner or later, you're going to have conflict. If you stay in business, you're going to have conflict with your bank or your lender. Uh, and and they, they can be really great cases. But in times of economic collapse, like in in eighties it happened and and again more recently we kind of circle the wagons and fight off lenders and and uh, uh, it, it the, if you get into that you need someone who's done it before so anyway insurance lenders uh, being ready dealing with your lawyer picking a good lawyer those things are really important for you um, as you go forward with your business. Hey, Mr. Hill, you, you have done this for 45 years. You had multiple practices. 53 years. The key, 53 years. Give me some attributes of what made you, what, what it took for you to be successful. Poverty, when I went into law school, was a big motivator for me. You know, I, I needed a way to make a living. But uh, more seriously, and and this uh, sounds kind of cornball, I guess, but um, I, I went into it because I believed it was a service profession. I went into it because African-American people all across the Deep South were getting their legs broken and their children blown up in churches in Birmingham and little school black schoolgirls in Sunflower County, Mississippi had their legs broken for going to a white school. And that's why I got, I, I never interviewed. I was, I finished first in my class at SMU. Everybody else had a job. 
I never had interviewed. And one evening I saw a poster on the wall that said the Department of Justice was going to be on campus interviewing. If you were in the top 10 students, you could be interviewed. So I said, you know, that that is interesting. I might I don't want to work for a big law firm. I, I, I don't know enough to practice by myself. But, hey, the Department of Justice, uh, maybe that's a doer. Well, Barefoot Sanders came to the campus that night, I think, early December that year. And I interviewed with him. He was the head of the Lambs Division of the Department of Justice at that time. And he said, uh, here's a card. Pick the three divisions of the department you would like to work in. I checked the Civil Rights Division, gave it back to him. He said, you only checked one. I said, that's the only one I want to work for. And he said, well, if you got that job, you'd have to move to Washington. And uh, I guess I was smart-ass because I said, well, actually, Mr. Sanders, I don't want the job unless I get to move to Washington. And he laughed, and he said, have you ever been to Washington? I said, no, sir, I've never been east of the Mississippi River. And he said, well, why do you want to go? And I said, because black people are getting killed in the Deep South. And he, he, he looked at me and nodded his head, and, and then they hired me. Um, so I went into it, and I think an attribute to being a successful lawyer is you, you need to be dedicated to serving other people who are in need. If you happen to make money out of it, that's great. And if you make a lot of money, that's great. But if you're not driven by the desire to help people, you, you need to do something else. Um, I, I've always been competitive. I hate condescension. I, I hate I hate powerful people who take advantage of others. I hate that. I always have. And maybe that's because I grew up poor, but, but uh, I'm very distrustful of wealth. And uh, I figured that a law license was a, a ticket to the, to the ring. And it is. <laughs> and, and uh, so that, and uh, I can't say that I had the courage to do it. I don't, I'm not sure I'd do it again. It was so hard, but, um, the, I had been, I had, a, I'd been with the department of justice six months and they sent me to Columbia, South Carolina and, uh, said, we're going to try the, uh, school desegregation case there and, three weeks. So go down there and start interviewing witnesses and get it ready. And we'll send down an experienced trial lawyer to try the case and, and you can just carry bags and help. Well, I did. And that lawyer never showed up and I ended up having to try it. Hell, I didn't know how to call a witness to the stand, you know, in <laughs> federal court, the courtroom was packed. One side was all black. One side was all white. And this Red-faced, alcoholic, uh, southern racist federal judge came out to the bench and sat down and said, well, ladies and gentlemen, the federal government's down here again on the back of some poor school board. Who appears for the government? You, Mr. Hill? And, of course, he knew who I was. I'd been in the U.S. Attorney's Office for weeks. And I stood up and said, yes, sir. And he said, I want to ask you some questions. So he kept me on my feet for 20 minutes, ridiculing me and ridiculing the Department of Justice, ridiculing the Civil Rights Division. The, the, the crowd, black and white, uh, were laughing at me. And I got through that some way. Uh, 
strangely, I, I have no memory of calling a witness, but I tried the case for a couple of days and he immediately ruled against me. I flew back to Washington, just kind of in shell shock. And when I got there, uh, I had a note saying the attorney general wanted to see me. So I went in, over to the attorney general's office. It was Ramsey Clark. And they said, uh, Frank, I heard what happened to you in South Carolina. I'm really sorry about it. And I know it probably makes you want to quit. And I said, yes, sir, I do. I quit. <laughs> and he said, no, no, you, you don't quit. And I said, yes, sir, I do. I quit. I'm going home to Texas. I don't need this. And he said, no, no, you can't quit. You know, this will make a better lawyer out of it. So, of course, I didn't quit. And Ramsey Clark was very good to me and was good to me in, in the three years after that. But I was scared to death. And, and, and that experience of being ridiculed by a federal judge in a packed courtroom has stayed with me my whole career. And, and I, had, I had to overcome the fear that that put into me. You talk about being afraid of litigation. Uh, I was terrified, but I knew that I had to overcome that. And for the next 12 years, every time I went in, my stomach was in a knot. But then one day, I was driving to the courthouse to pick a jury, and I realized that I was looking forward to it. And I can't say that I've ever been afraid again in the courtroom. Man, that is an amazing story. It's great. powerful. I mean, you, you could, I could see that being a movie one day, Mr. <laughs> Hill. You should write a memoir and let's turn this thing into a movie. Netflix. You know, the uh, I was fortunate enough to get to work a tiny bit on the Mississippi burning case, only in that in that I, I got to write about two paragraphs of the brief because that the, was early the actual on. Book? Hmm? You, There's a you, movie that you know that they made out of the 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 three murders. Uh, the three young men were buried in the earthen dam in uh, Neshoba County, Mississippi, and so uh, you, you said uh, you helped make or you helped write some of that for the movie? Uh, just, I, I, I got to work on the appellate brief uh, and I wrote a very small section of it. I, it was not really meaningful, but uh, I did after that, because that was early in my time there. After that, I, I got hands-on with a lot of stuff. If you ever look it up, look at Orangeburg, South Carolina, February the 8th of 1968. There was a massacre there. I've seen the movie. And uh, it was, that was my state. I got there in the the middle of the night, the next night, and the town was under virtual martial law at the time. And I stayed for six months. There were three dead and 29 wounded. Uh, so they, they were exciting years. When I when I got out of law school, I weighed one eighty five, and a year later, I weighed one thirty five. And uh, when they sent me on the road, they gave me thirteen dollars a day to pay for hotel and food. <laughs> so, so you can see why I lost weight. But but it was a it was a really exciting and colorful three years. Well, hey, we want to appreciate you hopping on and right there, just an amazing story, and just so much of the time, you know what makes us better is going through a lot of pain and it's an amazing story about what you went through and how it just, it still shapes who you are today and how you said you still think about that. So that's a great lesson. And again, we want to appreciate you coming on today. I don't know, Josh, you got any final words and we'll kind of wrap this up. I do have uh, two questions actually. Um, so 
the counter suit that you had talked about. So if someone sends a cease and desist, uh, you should contact your befriended attorney and then counter sue them the next day. Is that yeah, as quick as quickly as you can get in? Okay. Yeah, because I in talking about this, I was I've been led down the wrong road. Uh, whenever me and my business partner split up, I had a, a buyout agreement, and he breached the contract, the non compete clause, and so uh, I stopped making the payments, and then he sent a cease and desist, and then the attorney, you know, gave me bad advice. At that point, I should have just sued him right away, and then uh, would have probably saved me several thousand. So that's a good. Strategy. I never actually heard that before. And yeah, thank you for sharing. Well, I had, an old, I had an old partner. He was really a, a smart guy, but he's real lazy. Uh, but he had a really good sense of humor. And he told me one time, he said, You know, it, it's so much easier to negotiate when you're standing behind a good, strong lawsuit. And that's basically true. Uh, you got a, a hell of a lot more leverage if they're looking down the barrel of your lawsuit. And um, so even if like a suit that I'm in right now is a copyright suit that we had someone uh, change some images on our website and they used a copyrighted image uh, from Google and uh, we received uh, uh, emails from an attorney uh, for about six weeks, you know, like, Hey, give us a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks, 3000. And then he stopped after a couple of months cause I just ignored them. And then uh, a month ago they ended up sending uh, a lawsuit for copyright infringement. Um, in that case, if like the first time I would have gotten the email from him, would you think I would be have grounds to stand on to counter sue him? Um, maybe, but 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 what you need to do is as soon as you get that email, is go to your lawyer and figure out what to do. Right. And, and you know, if you have a valid cause of action against him. And the question I ask the client at that moment is, do you believe that if you do nothing, he's going to sue you? And if the client says yes, then I tell the client, then we need to sue them tomorrow. And so in that particular case, what would be the grounds for us suing them? Don't know. I'd have to know a lot more okay. about it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just have to know a lot, of, lot more facts about okay. how it all came to pass. I see. Uh, there, I, I don't want to leave you the wrong impression uh, uh, about being so aggressive. There are times when uh, you come in, a client comes in, and there is a reason to try to get it resolved. Um, and 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 certainly, if the client says, "Look, I don't want to file suit. I, I want to try, and and even though they may sue me, I want to try to resolve it." If a client tells me that, then I feel duty bound to make that effort. Right. I, I warn them that it may not be prudent, but 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 we try to avoid the litigation, avoid the expense and the trauma. Uh, but if if we're pretty sure the litigation is coming, then I want to be plaintiff. I see. Well, that's all the questions that I have. We really appreciate. You sharing all this information. I wish I had this 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, it would have well, saved it's, a, it, it's an honor. I, I'm, I'm very honored that you had asked me to do it. And I appreciate it very much.
Hey, and this is what it's all about. You know, that's why we have the mastermind. It's a council of brothers. You know, we're, we're business owners, but we, we become friends and we learn from each other and we learn from each other's mistakes. We learn from each other's successes and it's part of it. And everybody's acumen grows your wisdom and you want that wise counsel around you. And I can tell you, Mr. Hill is a bulldog. <laughs> what we got in that mediation room when he walked in the room. Everybody knew he was in the room. And he is the guy that you want on your side. Mr. Hill, we, we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate you the opportunity. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you. See you guys.